Cool. Well, thanks for cool. coming in. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we, we've done stories with the fire service before because they're a natural part of the K-Road um, community. And um, it seemed logical, like Dan's done all the hard yards. Yep. So, well, I kept seeing the, uh, the St. John Ambulance going down K-Road and being like, oh, actually, you know what? They, they spend a lot of time on K-Road. We should probably talk to them. We do, yep. Very local, just down the road on Pitt Street. Yeah, why don't you introduce yourself, Oliver? Um, so my name's Oliver Tyak. I'm a Area Operations Manager for St. John's, so um, my area covers Central and East Auckland. So I uh, sort of reaches from Newland in the west through to Mount Wellington in the south and all the suburbs in between. Uh, so quite a busy area. How long have you been... Um Tell us a little bit about your path to to being a first responder. Sure. So I joined St. John um, when I was 18 Mm. um, as a volunteer. Uh, So I grew up out at uh, Miriwai Beach um, and joined the first response unit out there. Responding to jobs in the community was quite heavily involved in that and sort of loved it. You know, realised that I've got a bit of a passion for this. Mm. Um, Thought it's something I might want to carry on with and, and progress down. Uh, So I started crewing the Helensville Ambulance um, as the second officer up there, Uh, did some training to become an emergency medical technician uh, and followed... When you say training, I know a lot of the fire service do a lot of training um, on the job, Yeah, but there's there's actual pathways to becoming an ambulance officer, there's actual courses and things you can do yeah yeah so i i my pathway initially was uh through the volunteer pathway so i um undertook probably was about six months worth of training completed a a national diploma in ambulance practice um and became qualified as an emt an emergency medical technician so that was the pathway i came in through um and then following that got a full-time job so started working on the ambulances 24 7 uh, you know, 12-hour day shifts, 12-hour night shifts, four days on, four days off. Quite gruelling work at times, you know, with those hours. Whilst I was working full-time, I undertook my uh, bachelor's degree, so a bachelor in health science, majoring in paramedicine. Mm-hmm. Um, finished that training whilst I was working full-time on the road as well. Um, and then up on completion of that, progressed through a paramedic internship within St. John and got my paramedic patches, which was an awesome achievement for me, you know, doing a three-year degree and, and you know, finally getting to, to where you want to be is a, you know, great feeling and a, and a uh, goal that I had for a long time, which um, I was very happy to achieve. Um, and then following on from that, got that in about 2021, I think it was. So what's that, a, that would have been about, eight years with St John by then, then sort of dipped my toes in some various uh, management positions, um, mainly in uh, the central city here, mm. um, and then find myself where I am today in a, um area manager position, which um, I really enjoy. It seems odd to me that a fundamental emergency service is left to a charity to run. That seems odd in my world. You know, I mean, imagine if we had the Methodist Church Fire Service or, you know. Yeah, 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 I I understand that. Um, We have, I believe we're about 90% funded by um, the Ministry of Health and ACC, um, and the rest of that is uh, topped up um, by our fundraising um, through the organisation. It seems so unique because all around the world and other nations and even Wellington um, have have a um, sort of state-funded, state-operated emergency service. How did we, how did 
New Zealand wind up with a charity running a, a primary service? It's a good question, and it's not one that I'm hugely aware of the background on. Um, there must be some history around St. John has, um, has been in New Zealand for a very long time, um, and the, the roots of St. John go right back to Jerusalem. Um, so, St. You know, John started with first aid and everything when they came here, but as to how the um, path progressed into us becoming the, the main ambulance service in the country, I, I, I'm not too sure on those details. Can, can you tell, tell us a bit about the core values of St. John's? Yeah, so um, St. John's core values are around, you know, being straight up, standing side by side, doing the right thing, having open minds and, and wanting to make things better. So I think those encompass the organisation really well and, and, you know, guide us on the goals that we want to achieve in the community, you know. We, at our core, are an emergency ambulance service, um, but we have a wide range of other charitable um, sort of parts of the organisation, whether it be um, caring callers or uh, pet therapy, um, friends of the uh, emergency pet department. Therapy, yeah, pet cool. therapy, yeah. I'll be into that. Yeah, it's very cool and it's a great um, morale boost for the staff, you know. Every, everyone loves, loves How's that dogs. Way? How's and the pet, pet therapy? It's great. So we've got a, a group of um, very dedicated volunteers um, and they uh, go throughout the hospitals, um, parts of the community with their pets and just yeah, essentially provide pet therapy. I mean, you see a dog and it makes you happy and, yeah, totally. and you know that's, that's good. I'm actually just in the process of um, trying to introduce them to uh, the emergency department at Auckland as well so that our um, ambulance officers can, you know, have a bit of pet therapy when they're there, you know, once they've dropped their patients off, just a bit of a feel-good oh, right. factor, yeah. Not for the patients, they're like, quick, we need a cute dog over here, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this guy's bleeding. Less, less so for the patients, but definitely, <laughs> yeah. you know, inside the hospital itself where they do it, you know, it's for the patients as well. And I mean, you, I mean, I know myself, I did four years in the fire service, so you, you guys are exposed to a lot of stuff that the average person would never see in their lifetime, and that's, that can take its toll on you personally as well. So I can see, you know, having Dalmatians and, you know, running around the brigade would be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think you touched on a good point there, you know, we, we do uh, see a lot of trauma out in the communities and like you say, we see uh, things that most people would never see in their lives and we see it on a regular basis. So it's something that uh, we have to prioritise in making sure that we keep ourselves well and, and on top of our mental health, um, you know, PTSD, ambulance officers are almost twice as likely to suffer from it, so we need to make sure we front foot, uh, front foot it and you know, make sure that our staff are looked after and their welfare is a priority for us. Yeah, when, when I was with the fire service, after every call, we had a therapist waiting back at base for us, yep. um, which was great, great comfort, great help. Do you have you know, constant access to you know qualified people to help you work through these we do yes so very cousins it's the fire service is it yeah. <laughs> can you tell the difference between the sirens i can most of the time yep yep um you knew that just, one was the fire yeah engine. i knew that one was a fire engine yeah um but yeah no we've got um very good access to um support services in st john's so uh we have um internal counselors uh psychologists that are available uh, we never, for our staff, um, 
they feel like they need to reach out to them. It's um, not mandatory? It's not mandatory, um, but it's very accessible for our staff um, and a number of avenues that our staff can go down to access it, whether you know they want to um, undertake it themselves or whether they come to um, us as a manager to help them access it. You know, it, it's all very out there and very public um, because you know it, it is a priority and, and we'd it, like them to access it where they can. Does burnout become an issue? Look, you know... <laughs> Burnout can be an issue for some of our staff, um, but, you know, we like to try and keep on top of it. And, you know, I guess it's about knowing, you know, being very self-aware as a person. You know, Mm. personally, I've experienced burnout before and I got some comfort in reaching out to the support services and knowing, you know, this isn't just something that I'm, you know, making up in my mind. It is something that, you know, that, I need some help with, you know, to, to sort of push through it. And, you know, I reached out to our services, saw a psychologist for a bit, and, you know, they're very good in, um, in equipping you with coping mechanisms, yeah, you know? Right, you're right. And I think sometimes there's a stigma around, especially as, you know, blokey, blokey blokes and that sort of thing. It's like in this Kiwi attitude of, you know, she'll be right. Whereas there's no shame in, in talking to somebody that's qualified to help you work through these issues. And I think, you know, a lot of people kind of see therapy as a failing point. Yeah. But, you know, I think if every, any if everybody could afford it, I think it would be a great thing for everybody to have somebody um, totally objective to talk to. Because yeah. when you talk to your family or your friends, they have their own agenda. They have their own point of view. Yep. So having that third person, I think, is incredibly valuable. And I think the important thing as well is, you know, the line of work that we're in, we go to some stuff that, you know, if you're going home and and downloading to your family, you can be exposing them to that trauma as well, you know. So I'm I'm very careful about what Mm. I do and don't give away at home. I'd much rather be able to unload to someone who I know is equipped to handle what I might tell them, yeah. you know. Um, but I remember back when I was still a volunteer with St. John uh, working with the paramedic and I was about to start full-time and he said to me, he's like, no matter what you're feeling, how you're doing, even if you think everything is good, reach out to a psychologist at least once or twice a year because even if you don't think mm. there's anything going on, yeah. there might be and don't you're just not aware to it yet. You know? So don't, don't get to crisis point. Actually, just front foot it and there's no shame in that. That could be a good incentive for people to join St. John. I get free therapy sessions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, it's, it's appropriate to sort of bring this up because mental health is health. It is. You yeah. know, you're a healthcare professional. And um, I think, you know, we often wind up, especially on Karangahapi Road, and this is something we could address now is, you know, what do we do with people that are not physically so much in danger, but there's a mental health component to what's happening, why they're acting out or why they're behaving the way they are. And I think at the moment that's getting dumped onto the police. That's getting dumped onto paramedics who are not really qualified to, to deal with these issues. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting point. And, you know, I think we're, we're making some progress. You know, the government's sort of putting in a bit more funding to mental health services. You know, it, it's, a, it's a tricky space in, in the health sector for mental health, you know. And it, 
like you say, at the moment, it sort of falls onto the services that sort of, you know, where the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, where (laughs) almost literally, (laughs) literally, it it would be great to get to a space where we can start actually preventing it and being able to support the community sooner. Is that part of the St. John's role too, is preventative medicine? Like, I mean, I've done my first aid courses and that's great to 15 compressions, two two breaths? Uh, 30 compressions, two breaths. I it was 15. Used to be 15, yeah. Why do they change these things? Might need a little refresher. (laughs) 30 compressions, two breaths. Yep. To the beat of staying alive. That's the one, yep, <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, look, St John really tries to front foot health initiatives in the community. Um, we've got, um, you know, our medical alarm service out there so um, community the community can have access to us with the push of a button, you know, especially helpful for those elderly patients, you know, a bit of peace of mind at home for the family as well, knowing that, you know, you've got this alarm so... You can push the button and, and the ambulance will come if, if something's yeah. wrong. Um, along with that, now, we, we do a lot of first aid training in the community. Yeah, I'm aware um, of the first aid training. Just going back to that emergency alarm. Now, yep. I, know, I know there's been people that I've suggested they get that too, and they're worried about the cost and they're worried about being a nuisance. What? Do you, how do you address that? Um, look, the medical alarms are a, a great benefit for people we get told a lot, you know, oh, we didn't want to push the button because we didn't want to bother you. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's our job and we're working 24-7. So if you're pushing that button at three in the morning, you're not waking anyone up. We're awake already and, you know, we will come and help. So I think that that's the main thing. Um, the membership for a medical alarm is the same cost as one ambulance call out. So I think roughly about $98. So a few covered that, that membership. That for a year? For a year, yeah. That's so not too bad. No, so can you split that up over like month, easy monthly payments? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, not sure if you can after pay that. Well, well, that's great. If people do want to find out more about these services, like the emergency alarm, yeah, they go to the website. They Be, best, don't, don't call triple one. <laughs> don't don't call triple one. Uh, you can go to the website uh, www.stjohn.org.nz, or you can just call 0800 St John. And they'll um, put you into contact with whoever you need to speak to. That's great. Yeah. And what are the criteria to volunteer? I guess it depends on what you're looking to volunteer for. Age limit? Uh, again, it depends on what you're looking to volunteer for. If you're looking to volunteer for, you know, friends of the emergency department, there's no real age limit. I've, I've seen, you know, people um, who are slightly more elderly out there in the EDs, you know, comforting patients all that sort of thing so one of them a teenager and um, so i think uh 18 um if you're wanting to join is uh is the limit off the top of my head i think that's about right definitely for the anything emergency ambulance anyway you know do you have to be super fast or like really smart with maths no no not at all i just touch actually we've got a youth program as well so actually you can join st john from Pretty much when you're a little little child, is that right like through. similar to the scouts program? Yeah, sort of like scouts. We've, so they're called cadets for us, um, yeah. and yeah, that's a youth program that runs right up till uh, you're 18. Um, so that's yeah, where you could get involved if, if you were a bit younger and wanted to join the organisation. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just sitting there thinking, how do you quantify emergency services? from a financial point of view <laughs> like how do you say okay we're, we're going to experience a billion dollars worth of trauma this year so the, you know what I mean how do you even plan for the unexpected 
Yep, that's a that's a very good question. Um, I guess you you know we we plan a lot off past experience, right? Mm. So if, if you're looking at you know um, the recent weather events that we've had in the city, which caused you know quite widespread disruption, those were you know sort of the first time we've seen seen large scale events like that in Auckland when it terrorism comes to attacks. the weather terrorism attacks. We would as never well. never have considered not that experienced as- that, but you know we work closely with police with uh, fens to. Um, develop plans around how we might approach these situations. You know, throughout the city, we've got a number of you know high risk sites, whether it be um, K Road, K Road, the, the city <laughs> rail link, for example. We need these big construction sites, the mm. Holdaki Gulf, where you know it's a challenge to get access. So we will develop um, what we call tactical plans, and we'll liaise with all the um, stakeholders that might be involved in that to come up with. Uh, plans on what ifs, you know. So what, what if the Harbour Bridge collapsed or got a, Yep, we've yep. got a plan for that. Yep. Right, right. So so we plan for what all if that there sort was of thing. A terrorism attack. Yep. Yep. We pl- we plan for all that. I've, we've done plans for if a cruise ship was to sink in the harbour, all oh. that sort of thing, you know. So volcano. Yep. Yep. Totally. <laughs> so so we work closely with all of the agencies to you know look at these what if scenarios and and what we would do. Zombie to apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. It's happening now, bro. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? Is is there ever been a time we we have turned up to a job and gone, what the hell is going on here yep there, there are definitely incidents that you go to where you think now i've seen it all but i can guarantee you that it will always be trumped by something else right what's know? the common um what are you commonly being called out for on k road um i think k road you know we see a lot of um alcohol and drug related incidents um you know coupled with that comes violence mm. so you know assaults on k road you know are, are quite frequent would you um, say they're getting more frequent over the years or i'm, I'm not sure i tried to mm. get some data on that but we didn't manage to get it in time no, no i worries. i haven't seen any noticeable increase it's it's all the all the um bits and pieces that come with the with the cbd right you know i think yeah. a lot of it's anecdotal i mean we we see the results of the alcohol out there um just to go off the topic a little bit and talk about alcohol do you think we missed the boat on the referendum I mean, is there? I would suggest that there is far more social harm and trauma caused from alcohol abuse than marijuana. Yeah, look, I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> you don't sure. want to answer I, that one, do I, you? <laughs> I probably won't comment on if we missed the boat on the referendum, but I will say that you know we do see a lot of alcohol-related harm, and mm. it, it does hurt the communities. and And you don't have to look far to see that, you know. So I think we have to look at you know how can we how can we mitigate those risks and what what can we actually do to support our communities um because you know for a lot of people it is an addiction and, and they need help you know yeah yeah do you have a drink every now and then yeah 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 every now and then yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean are you the with this sort of person that we go out with and you're like you're the cunt that's going you know you're over your limit now no, no, you know, that, that is not me. Look, I um, yeah, I, I see you've bought that new Mazda, but do you know what they look like, Cutter? <laughs> no, no. Look, you've, you've got to, you've got to um, have a bit of fun, you know, and and I think that's important. And maintaining your mental well-being as well as is making sure that you know you can have a bit of fun every now and then. And but a black humour goes yeah, a long way. A black humour does go a long way. It's uh, rife in the ambulance organisation, oh, you know. But 
but it, it helps, you know, and yeah. What goes on tour stays on tour. Exactly, exactly, yep. Um, do you ever have problems with people like trying to break into the ambulances and that to access narcotics? Um, look, it's it's not a common problem. Every now and then we might have someone trying to trying to get into the ambulance. What they're trying to get in for, who knows. Um, nice. But yeah, yeah, potentially not. We, we don't carry that anymore, but look, um, generally we, we're pretty safe and secure. If, you, if you're out on K Road and you come across somebody on the street that's maybe comatose, how do you know if they're not sleeping, drunk, or having a um, potentially life-threatening incident. It's a it's a very good question, and you know, alcohol does complicate um, our patient assessments, um, especially if you look in the context of someone who's intoxicated and then has been assaulted. You know, how do you weigh up between? You know, are they just intoxicated? Do they have a head injury? So, um, it all goes into you know how we assess the patient. First of all, can we wake them up? You know, if, if they can't be woken, then generally it's not that they're asleep. You'd have to be a pretty uh, deep sleeper um, to not wake up to our, our methods of um, trying to get some sort of response from you. Um, and then it falls into, you know, um, how we assess head injuries and, and taking into account the whole picture. Um, but generally, if there's a head injury and alcohol involved, it's a trip up to the hospital to just to be sure that you're okay. What's your advice to somebody if they, they see somebody like in that situation on K Road, just an average um, pedestrian? I, I think if you come across someone on K Road who, you know, appears to be unconscious, the best bet is to give us a call on 111 and we can come and, and see what's going on. We'd much rather turn up and the person just to be sleeping and, and get up and walk off than uh, for them to be left there and, and die. And if you do call an ambulance and you're not sure, you don't know this person, but you think they need assistance, are you going to be charged for that? Or you no. Get, no, there's no, no charge. No, no charge for calling us. Um, the charge would go to the patient if um, they needed to be transported. Um, to clarify, so uh, if you have an accident, uh, ACC will cover that part charge, um, but if it's a medical event, then um, there will be a part charge sent. So no harm in calling us. Like I said, we'd much rather get there in it to be nothing than, um, than for that person to die. Do you have like a, a target turnout time? As in how quickly we should respond to incidents. So yeah, so um, our incidents are, are coded by colour. So we have a purple response, which is um, essentially a respiratory or cardiac arrest. So that's your your highest level. We then have red responses, which are um, you know deemed to be immediately life threatening, and then you've got uh, orange and green, which are deemed to be sort of less life threatening to not life threatening at all. So all our incidents are dispatch based on what colour the um, the call is coded as when it comes through from 111. Mm. Um, so I believe off the top of my head, uh, in an urban area, we aim to get to uh, red calls within eight minutes. Well, that's fast. Yep. How long were you um, working in the ambulance for? Uh, so I was working on the road for six years. Mm. Um, so thoroughly enjoyed my time on that. Um, and so I thought, you know, time to take a little break from it and, yeah oh, um, you might go back to it then oh i i still get out on the on the trucks every now and then i tr you know i try and get out at least once or twice a month i still really enjoy the work in it and it's good to mm. you know remember your roots and what it's like out there and what challenges the staff are facing I mean, yeah six years 
do some people just stay on the ambulance for you know decades or is that too much no we've we've certainly got staff who have been on the ambulances for 20 30 40 years yeah do you see yourself staying for that long or do you have other plans Prob- for your life i probably wouldn't stay in an ambulance for that long but we'll see where the career with st john takes me at, at the moment i'm in a you know a good a good place where i want to be so happy to just chill for now and and get a bit of stuff done and and you know reevaluate from there who's six here firefighters or paramedics <laughs> probably firefighters i reckon <laughs> i'm surprised you said that. <laughs> you can't beat those calendars <laughs> yeah that's true true cool well i'm i'm satisfied on my questions Dan. yeah can you do a can you do a fire engine in person <laughs> imagine if we had sirens that went Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I think people probably still wouldn't listen. Oh, yeah. That must be frustrating. I've seen some cars and they're not getting out of the way, you know. Yeah, I I think people panic sometimes when they see, um, you know, flashing lights and sirens behind them. You know what cracks me up, though? I don't know if they do it on on ambulances, but on fire engines, they fire, like, in backwards, so that if you look in your rear vision mirror, if you didn't notice the huge truck with, with <laughs> bright lights and a siren oh, oh it's a fire truck yeah yeah <laughs> hey look ollie it's been an absolute pleasure um dan's outdone himself by getting you guys on board and um you know we just big shout out you such an important vital role in the community and look guys we, we'll try and get a photo of oliver for you but fucking drop dead good looking too <laughs> could be it could be you could do the the paramedic calendar. <laughs> Thank you. Start one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Any final words? Um, probably the last thing I'd say, just given it's relevant coming into winter and, and you know, the health system is under quite a lot of pressure and demand at the moment, um, is a sort of little myth that I'd like to bust around, you know, um, if you call an ambulance, you're going to uh, be seen in hospital faster. That isn't the case. So when you call the ambulance, your call will be triaged appropriately and the ambulance will be dispatched based on, on that priority. So if higher priority calls come in, the ambulance is going to be dispatched for those. Mm-hmm. Similarly, when we get you into the hospital, we get triaged by the same nurses that triage the public. So there's there's so no... Don't call an ambulance for sniffles. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 if it's not life-threatening, um, then, you know, you can call Healthline, you can call your GP... Um, or an Uber. Or, or an Uber. But I guess just, just front foot your health in winter, you know. Keep yourself healthy. If you're feeling unwell, see your doctor early and, and don't wait and think, you know, oh, you know, it'll get better because it might not get better and then, you know, it, it becomes a bit harder to fix things right. sometimes. Hey, look, and, you know, sometimes society is hard to fix and we're playing our part at the Chronicle. So if you like what we're doing, if you like our program, you like our styles, if you like Dan, if you'd like to see Oliver with a shirt off, then you know please support us on Patreon, and um, we'll probably do less than we promised. But you know, never mind. Um, big thanks to our sponsors: Lifewise, uh, White Ladies Saloon Bar, Art Shows. Every one of you that you know supports us on the street, and of course our guests Oliver, the St John's. Um, Ambulance crew, who else? I think that's it. We're done. Cool. Big round of applause. Thanks for, for having me. Thanks, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in post. <laughs>